Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting right now from unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day here at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, as we do every week. This is the birthplace of black theatre in this country, and it's a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples, and we'd like to recognise that. You're listening to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Tanya Ali. And today, we're sharing space with Bali Pada, actor, TV producer, development executive, and director. Bali has worked extensively through film and TV, particularly in his advocacy work for representation of underrepresented communities on screen and on stage. His current directorial work, Gars at the Taj, by playwright Rajiv Joseph, is currently showing at Riverside Theatre, and over the next hour, you're going to be hearing Sarah Khan speaking with him about what led him to storytelling, balancing his many different hats, and of course, the play itself. Ali Pada, he's a man of many hats. He's an actor, TV producer, development executive and director. His latest directorial work is Guards at the Taj, a play written by Rajiv Joseph, which tells the story of two best friends who stand guard at the Taj Mahal and charts their dealings with power and autocracy and resistance. And it's showing at the National Theatre of Parramatta. But before we jump into this incredible play, um, so you have such an incredible portfolio of work behind you not just for yourself but also championing um, other artists of color so I want to go to the start what made you want to become an actor and all-round storyteller yeah well um I was on an interesting journey that was very same same for many um you know uh, children of migrant Indian parents <laughs> I was on the IT route <laughs> and uh I was um, studying IT and multimedia, which was slightly more creative than just being a computer scientist like my brother. Um, and I remember just sitting at work one day and just realizing I sit in front of a computer all day and I crave company. I crave chatting to people and I crave just being with people and working with people and coming up with stuff. And Working in IT, is that my jam for the rest of my life? I don't think so. And I was, um, I was 23, 24 then. So if we do the math, that was 14, 15 years ago. Um, and I then like went on this like journey of my psychology and my history. And I was just like, but hang on. Okay, well, what, what do I love? What am I, how can I find what I'm passionate about? Let me check in on all the things that I've loved 
in terms of experiences of life up until this point. And I just went, yep, just did a whole retrospective in half an hour of my life. <laughs> just went through the whole Rolodex of life and realised that it was things like performing in the school choir, doing, you know, friends short films at uni. Um, I was also doing seminar leading for personal development um, workshops as well. And, you know, I've emceed and been like, an, you know, a host for, you know, family parties and things like that. I just went, ah, he likes an audience. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, that was it. I was like, okay, well, my calling is to be a performing artist. And um, that's how it started. And then from there, it was extremely blind naivety and boldness that often early 20-something-year-olds have, which I... I now wish I still had um, the the journey of life brings about a bit of cynicism and jadedness and risk aversion. Um, but I, yeah, just said, I'm going to do it. And, but then I was like, okay, how does a slightly camp, maybe more than slightly camp brown boy with a turban get any work on Australian TV? Oh shit. There's no chance. <laughs> oh. so, <laughs> so then um, I was like, okay, well, how about I go to the UK? You know, there's a much stronger, you know, South Asian diaspora community there. There's a longer history of, you know, migration there. And I know of, you know, more performing artists that are from the UK. I've seen them on the TV, on the pictures, as we called them. And, um, and so, yeah, I packed my bags and went. And I was over there for about a year and a half. And again, that blind optimism, that naivety, just sort of like turned up at Heathrow. I was like, all right, I'm ready for my close-up. <laughs> and, uh, um, luckily, I knew some friends from Australia over there and I was hanging out with them for a while. It took me about six months, though. So six months of survival mode um, to remember why I was there. And I'd actually gone to see a cabaret show by um, two Australian women at the Soho Cabaret Club. I think that's what we, it's called. Um, and my a friend of mine was like, she was the door bitch on the night and she was like, hey, come on, come on in, I'll let you in. And I remember just going to it and going, oh, that was fabulous. I loved that show. It was called Permanently Temporary. Look it up. And um and then we were all hanging out at a bar afterwards and it was piano in the corner. I was feeling, I was feeling all sophisticated and swishy and arty-farty. And, um, and yeah, people were just talking about being a performer or something to do with the performing arts. I remember this guy who had a very typical theatre voice but talking about Shakespeare and my first <laughs> reaction was like, ugh. Um, and then I, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, ugh. Here we go, Shakespeare. Uh, and then I went, oh, hang on. And I, I remember just like sitting upright, jolting upright and gasping, like my audible gasp being so loud that people just stopped talking and turned to me. And I went, oh, I just remembered why I came to London. I came here to be a performer. And everyone was just like, yay, cheers to that. And then back to their conversation. <laughs> I want to say that things like just happen and like, oh my God. And then this came up and it's up to serendipity and luck and stuff. And I, I can't help but say that I, I do believe that have things happen, you know, because, you know, the universe wants you to have things when you're ready and when you um, put it out there. And it was, a, and yeah, it was 
a couple of weeks later, maybe a couple of months later, I just saw an article in the local, you know, Clapham South London newspaper saying that there was a, a show coming to the Young Vic Theatre. It was a Brazilian and British co-production and they were looking for local community to come in and join in the production. And at that point, I had been doing, I did capoeira for eight years. So capoeira is a Brazilian martial art and um, it involves a lot of music and dance and um, rhythmic um, rhythmic movement. Uh, and, um, so I knew some Portuguese. I could sing a few songs in Portuguese. I could dance. I could do Afro-Brazilian percussion and also Afro-Brazilian dance. And so I just emailed them and was like, hey, um, I might be useful. And they were like, oh, my God, can you can you turn up right now and have a chat to us? And and so I ended up getting a role on that show. It was called Festa, which means party. And um, and it was a really beautiful show. It was a huge com um, combination of professional and community performers. And we shut down the street to start the show on the street with a big dance party and then took everyone to the theatre. And, yeah, so it's kind of, like, really cool that I could say that I had my acting debut um, at the Young Vic Theatre in London. Yeah, so it, it, that's the way it went. And I didn't do any training or classes or anything. Or I didn't have any connections. Um, and so in hindsight, I, like, I should have asked around for a little bit of advice <laughs> and connections. But um, I'm also a person that is very much a, hey, if I need something, I'll make it happen. I'll go and find it. I'll go and get it. And um, so I also then performed after that with the company of Stomp um, at the Royal Festival wow. Hall. And I was like, this literally is a childhood dream come true. This, uh, I remember seeing them on something on TV when I was a kid. And I was like, I'm, what? How? <laughs> it was just extraordinary. And, um, and then we had the lovely global financial crisis and I had to, you know, I had run out of money, I racked up so much credit card debt, I had to then get on a plane as soon as I could and come home and move back in with my parents out in Eastern Creek <laughs> in Western Sydney. <laughs> so I go from like the middle of London and there's a bit vibrancy of the arts there and community and then I was stuck on oh, wow. a highway in Eastern Creek. <laughs> It's like not even like a little change as well. It's like proper Western Sydney. Oh, like proper. Like yeah. even if it was like in sort of more Blacktown, like more of the city, like, you know, the more populous area, I could like, yeah, I could just get out and about and just, you know, I'm just going to go for a wander. No. No. <laughs> I can imagine like during that time as well, like it's just, yeah, no, you don't want to be stuck out at Eastern Creek. No. Bless, bless Eastern Creek, but it's not, a, it's not an easy place to get to. No, it's it's getting better now though. Mum's still there and she's just like, oh, they built a beautiful shopping centre across the road and I like going there every day. Like, great, good on you, love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll stick to the inner west with my arty farty friends. Yeah. So, yeah. That's an amazing story you just told us as well of how you, like your first kind of engagement with the arts. I really love that. Um, so mm. thank you for sharing that. I guess as well, like in the early stages of your career, I mean, as creatives, uh big thing that happens for us if you have the opportunity to you get linked up with people that take a real shot on you and your voice and believe in the authenticity of your voice and don't want to mold it and don't want to compromise it or exploit it they really just want to let it breathe and just kind of facilitate that along the way for you so I guess like how did you kind of find 
that support if you did within your field when you were emerging as a creative? I remember one particular dear friend, um, his name was Peter, and he had gone to drama school up in Queensland. And although at, by that point when we met, uh, so we met when I was an IT guy and then he saw me transition into an artist <laughs> and then saw me come home and be an absolutely broken, starving artist stuck out in Eastern Crete. But he just like said the right things at the right time um, that was not only like moments of inspiration and reality for me, but also, hey, this is how things work in the industry. Like, try this, try, you know, this avenue in terms of how you want to find an agent and what kind of experiences you want to get and, you know, join the union and, and you know, uh, you get lots of free stuff and workshops and movie tickets and theatre tickets. And I was like, great, free stuff, I'll join the union for that. Um, and, and then, um, yeah, and then just through that process, I, I through those really great little moments, it's like just pulled a little thread from the jumper here and then another one here and then another one here. And then slowly the jumper all just sort of um, unravels and things just, the momentum just builds. So I really credit and, and am grateful for my friend Peter who gave me his little bits of advice because also he had decided at that point that he didn't want to be a performer anymore. And so he was also telling me about what's so horrible about <laughs> being in the performing arts and how desperate and lonely it can be yeah. so he was yeah that reality check was really key um in in the beginnings but I also just um I tend not to take no for an answer anyway um and I kind of go well I'll just make it happen mm. I'll just I'll, I'll find a way and um so I also believe in everyone having their own journey their own path I believe in everyone earning their wisdoms as well Mm -hmm. um and so let people yeah obviously share knowledge share power share all of that it's so important um but also um uh, I think you know now as I'm approaching kind of think I am middle-aged now um but you know uh I, I find myself becoming like my parents who's just like oh you know make sure you don't make these mistakes that we did and no 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 don't do that don't do that and I'd be like oh but I need to live I need to go and explore and so I've always had that thing that let me go and learn from my own mistakes because mm -hmm. I will probably, that's how, you know, we evolve. Yeah. That's how we become, you know, that's how we grow as people in society and develop relationships and develop our own success. So, um, yeah, Peter was great. And then from there, it was just, yeah, just telling people in whatever workshop or whatever, I was just like, yeah, this is who I am. I'm Bali Putter, I'm a performer. I've done some stuff in London. Um, I've not trained. I just want to, I'm just here because I'm really passionate about being a performer. Although, you know, it's a problem that there's no real multicultural representation in Australian theatre and television, but I'm going to be the one that's going to change that. And people just like, were like, huh, who are you? Okay all right, tell me more about that then. Okay, that's interesting. How do you want to change that? And so people started to listen. Um, and it's not that I was like boldly declaring that I am the one that's going to be the Gandhi of, you know, of, you know, people of colour and people from marginalised backgrounds entering the arts and having a, cho a chance. But it was just like, no, fucking hell, this is a problem. And 
I can't wait around for anyone else to fix it. I'm just going to have to do it myself. So just through that, again, bold courage, perhaps naivety. Uh, again, I really credit my naivety to just allowing me to go out there and do things and talk to people and say things rather than being scared and go, oh, should I be talking to them? Should, oh, they're in a position of power or they're the head of blah, blah, blah. And, oh, is it right to say something like that? And, no, nah, just like, no, nah, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> how, and then I'll be like, how, how can you do better? How can I support you to do better? So that, that's been sort of, yeah, my MO in terms of my work. Um, sometimes I have to slap people over the head as well and going, hey, we talked about this, making the same mistakes again. Stop it. Yeah, it's 2022. How are we still doing this? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you also hold many different hats within the industry um, as well, within the storytelling field, uh, and which is incredible. Is there a creative outlet that you drift more towards than the others? Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm obviously I'm. I'm really vibing being a director right now, I must say. Um, it feels so natural and so comfortable and so real and so me. Um, and I just want to tell you and tell the listeners that I'm really proud of myself for what I am achieving and what I've achieved. And that is something um, not very common that I would ever say that about myself. And I tend not to hear anyone else really ever say that. Yeah. Um, and I want people to... I was, I was telling everyone yesterday during, before our first preview, um, I'm like, today I am overwhelmed with, with um, emotion. I'm just kind of probably randomly burst out crying throughout the day. It's not a bad thing. I am just incredibly proud, not only incredibly proud of all the work that we've do, we're doing and accomplishing and this being my first theatre directing gig. And, um, but I'm really proud of myself. And, um, and I want everyone to know that you should strive to be proud of yourself as well and share it openly when you are. Um, so I, yeah, I'm totally vibing the directing right now. Um, I do, I can't help but be a producer in many ways because I just feel like I am a doer as well and a pull it all together and make, yeah, make all the pieces fit together. So I'm a Gemini. I have that duality of mind and brain. I have the creative side, but I also have like the strategy side as well to myself. So I think where I, that's what makes me and me really unique. And what I love about myself is that I have a foot in both worlds, but also I know that I can just give all my attention to one particular area when needed as well. Um, thank you, ADHD meds. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I still want to perform. Um, I, I don't think I've yet found, fully found the, the show or the, 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 the genre or the fit that really allows me to shine. The closest I got to was a, an extraordinarily funny web series called Over and Out, by the Van Buren brothers and Adele Vuko. And um, it was, it's a hilarious um, web, you know, short web series about uh, parenting in, the, in a zombie apocalypse. And um, I had a blast being the guest 
star in the first episode. And I was like, okay, this is me. This is who I am. And, um, and interestingly enough, I think only just recently have I realised that all of the things that I had been sort of self-conscious or insecure about in terms of myself and how I present on screen or how I present in front of people, um, you know, I, there are things like, you know, I'm a bit camp, I'm not ripped, you know, I have a, like, you know, sometimes particular T-shirts make my belly look big. Um, if I go to the gym, I, my shoulders get really big and then like I look gargantuan. Uh, I have a high hairline, uh, you know, all of these things. I have like occasionally a bit of a lisp when I talk and um, my knees go inwards a little bit and, you know, oh, no, I'm not like, I'm not sexy enough and interesting and bold enough to be someone of interest on screen or on theatre. And then I looked at the most successful and interesting work that I've done. One was a commercial and then the other one was over and out. And I went, oh my God, these were my favouritest ever gigs and the works that I'm the most proud of as a performer and why they're the best of all the work that I've done is because all of those things that I'm insecure about, about myself, are the things that make my work shine. So a little bit camp, a little bit weird, a little bit awkward, all of those things were what made those characters work. And I was like, no one else has that. Only Bali has that. And that's what makes me succeed and me unique. Now I just need to build on it and like take it even further and like have my own show. So <laughs> go, off, go off. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I love what you just said then as well about like outwardly saying like I'm proud of myself and mm. like we we don't off we forget to kind of like fill our cup up like that as well. Mm. Like and it's like, no, like I want to celebrate me. Like I did this mm. work. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't me. And yeah, okay, like parents birthed me, raised me, blah, 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 fed me, all that, <laughs> all that fun stuff. But right now this is me and I'm I'm proud of that. So I'm going to celebrate that. That's my joy. Yeah. Um, yes. No, I really love that. We, uh, we, we don't um, often get that stuff said sometimes on the show. So yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, no. Let's talk about um, Guards at the Taj. So it's a play written by American playwright Rajiv Joseph and you're directing it for its showing at National Theatre of Parramatta. What was your introduction to the play and what drew you into the story? Uh, well, it, um, just after it had won the 2016 OB Award, which is the off-Broadway version of the Tony Awards, um, the um, big theatre awards over in New York, it won the 2016 OB Award for Best New American Play. And I wasn't aware of it, I didn't know of it, but a friend of mine, I, we just bumped into each other or something. We had performed together before. Sean, um, Sean Rennie is his name. And he just said, hey, Bali, you should um, take a look at this play called Guards at the Taj. And you and, you know, another friend, fellow Brown performer, um, he was like, you, you, and, you and Nat should do this show as, you know, the cast. And I was like, cool, all right, awesome. And so I went and found the script and I read it and I was... Um, yeah, I was overwhelmed by the sophistication of this writing. Um, I look back now and I, and I realise now that um, I wasn't ready to understand or tackle that text. Um, obviously, you know, I would have needed the support of a really great director to really, like, help me get there. Um, I felt like I was still quite naive to understanding, under, really, um, yeah, uh, 
getting into the detail of story and like it would take me a long time back then these days I'm a lot faster at it thankfully because uh, it's my profession now um, but I was also in the middle of producing two shows as well so I was doing a show called Light and Art at Griffin Theatre Company by Nicholas Brown good wonderful friend of mine and also I was producing and directing accidentally directing my um, queer Bollywood drag theatre production of Cinderella, but adapted to um, a British Raj Bombay era. So that was just a, like a that little... was That was just a lot for me to unpack there in the best way. That <laughs> <laughs> was like, it just kept going, like the good, like the deadliness of it just kept going as you kept yeah. it. <laughs> so um, you'd be pleased to know it's coming back. So stay tuned. Um, and so I was in the throes of doing those. I had produced some other things as well, some um, other sort of one-off events for the theatre uh, the theater industry. And, and I was like, oh, I'm tired. Can someone else put this on and just cast me in it? Um, I don't want to have to do all the work. Like, and But there was just no one ready to really, even in 2016, you know, that's only, what's that, six years away, yes. Um, so, yeah, like five, six years away, still no one was really keen on putting two brown actors on stage um and i wanted to be paid for it so like it had to be a professional production yeah. um and so i just was like what ifs okay I'll, I'll put it i'll put that in the bottom of my desk drawer and i don't know i never i never really went oh one day one day i will but it always did come up every now and then I'm like oh god's a good time hmm i wonder i wonder and then it was um October 2020, uh, I was in the throes of being a screen funding executive. So I was a bureaucrat executive strategy person. So not very creative at all, but really important time for me to do that work for myself and for the industry. And I just happened to be having a catch up with Joanne Key, who's the um, executive producer of National Theatre of Parramatta. And um, her and I are good friends. So we were just having a coffee catch up and I mentioned in passing that, you know, I'd love to, you know, consider even low risk sort of directing opportunities, directing a workshop, like, you know, a, a week long development workshop, a script or something. And, and she just like threw her, like her notebook, like she just flung it away and just again, gasped very audibly. She just said, oh my God, oh my God, are you, are you still keen on directing for theatre? Like, I thought you just moved into the screen world. I thought it was done. And this is the, this is the problem, right? When people wear, people like me wear lots of different hats, suddenly you sit in a particular space for 10 seconds and everyone decides and thinks that you're now that. It's like, no, 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 I'm still everything that I am before this. So, um, so it just meant that I have to just keep telling people <laughs> who I am and that I, all of my hats are still relevant. And so, yeah, she just said, oh, my God, this, I, I have a play in mind that I'd like to program for 2021 season. And I think you'd be amazing as the director for this. And because, um, you know, my, my history and roots of West, in being from Western Sydney it, um, and all these things. And I'm like, yeah, great, great, great. But what's the play? Like, what are you so, <laughs> she's, like, she's like, oh, it's this little play called Guards at the Taj. Then I gasped. And I just went, holy shit, what? Yes, now, where's the contract? Like, give it to me now. I have to do this play. I will, yeah, I'm, 
next year I'm ready to move on from being an executive. I need to be an artist again. So perfect timing, blah, blah, blah. Yes, well, how do we make this work? And I just was really grateful for Joanne taking a chance on me. We talked about also, it was my first time directing and, you know, that I would need some sort of support around me. Uh, and, you know, it was actually Joanne who said, you know, I, it kind of annoys me that people just get stuck in assistant or associate, you know, assistant director role, assistant director, they're constantly assistant directing or whatever, or the attachment. And she said, I want to flip the script. I want to put the person that we're really excited about, but potentially doesn't have the, the kind of experience to really helm a several thousand dollar tens of thousands of dollars show budget. Not that I know what the budget of the show is, but um, I'm assuming several tens of thousands of dollars. And um, we'll give you the role of the director, but let's find a direct, an experienced director that you really love and that you really gel with. And they are your support person. So they will give them, they're like the associate director or they're the mentor or something like that. So flip the switch on, you know, cause it's immediately like the credit, the role is, what sells you to the next production company or the next venture. So I'm also extremely grateful for Joanne, you know, coming to the table with that offer. And, um, and then it's just the story, like the story is just extraordinary. The text is amazing. There is not a wasted dot of ink on the page with this script. Um, I, every time I hear it, every time I watch the boys do a run, um, I just am blown away by the context and the subtext of the world of the story. Um, and, you know, yes, it's set at the Taj Mahal and the dawn of its re re first reveal in 1648 in Agra, India. And it's about these two guards that are on the dawn watch their first day. And, but it's about them also being best friends as well. And so this is a, 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 a look through the microscope or the magnif I look through the magnifying glass at a friendship and how different they are. One of them is like the dreamer, the creative free thinker and like, great. I know we've got a job to do, but like, when do we get to have fun? Like, what if like we came up with this idea or this invention? And then the other one is that we've got a duty to do. People are watching. We cannot stuff up. Our reputations are on the line. Our status, our, like, you know, the status quo needs to be maintained. And, and so far, they've known them, each other for their whole lives, and that's fine. Like, they love that about each other. And then um, we then find out that the, you know, the, the ruler of India at the time, the Mughal ruler, Shah Jahan, um, you know, perhaps didn't uh, want anything more beautiful than the Taj Mahal to ever be built again. So it had to be the top-notch, first-class gold medal piece of art and architecture in the world. And so decrees that something horrific must be done in order to maintain that status. And it's when these boys have to find out, find out about what that decree is and how it impacts them and their ideologies and their relationship as well. So what I love about the play is that it is this real um, detailed look at the effects of unbridled patriarchal power um, and how powerful decisions by the ruling elite 
and their very particular narrow viewpoints, um, how it actually affects the broader community. It affects communities beyond their point of view. It affects not only communities, but then it affects relationships and individuals. And, um, you know, for someone whose name is Bali, my motto is my, I guess, uh, what's the, um, my inspiration quote is, no person is an island. Uh, we are designed to exist together and we must work to ensure that we can exist together. And um, so, yeah, I, I want audiences to come away from seeing the show to really questioning themselves and how culpable or how responsible they are in how powerful decisions are made and the impact and the consequences of those powerful decisions on individuals and a tiny little relationship between two best friends. I guess being a creative of colour, we, we rarely get to share story and space with a community of people that look like us. Mm. Um, and how different is that process for you when you get to have the opportunity to, to develop work with people with a similar lived experience? Mm. It's, it's just, um, oh, it's so easy <laughs> to say that. There's no over explaining and now educate us about your culture and blah 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 and all this and all that it's it, it, it's yeah we just cut to the chase there's a shorthand there's a lot of simplicity I don't get me wrong I love talking about my upbringing and my culture and you know where my parents have been and where they're from and what they've gone through and how I got to be where I am I love sharing my story because I just want people to know that there is no particular journey that has to be for you. Everyone has their own journey. Mine has been all over the place. And so, yeah, I love sharing about culture and, and story and identity. However, there are times where you're just like, can we just get down to the work and just focus on it and have fun with the work rather than spending all this time trying to explain reasons of why we and our cultures exist in this space right now. And um, so it's incredibly relieving doing that. Um, I must say, though, that, you know, people, I, I do believe that people have, the majority of people have the best of intentions, um, you know, people that are basically overrepresented in the arts. Um, they do have the best of intentions right now. However, there's like so much fear and like trepidation and like trying not to get it wrong and trying not to offend and, you know, all of these things. And oh, can you, can you tell me, can you educate me to the right way to do it? And all of that, that labor as well, that mental labor is really full on. Um, I just say to folks, um, just be bold you know, you can be big and ugly enough to apologise for your mistakes and, and, be, and take responsibility for them. Um, also know, though, that um, you need to educate yourself as well. Ignorance is also not an excuse. Um, it can only get you so far uh, because ultimately if you cut someone through a mistake from ignorance and you can apologise, you can give them stitches and a Band-Aid and pay for their hospital bills or whatever, but... And, and you can get you can gain forgiveness and, and relationship again with that person, but that person still has a cut on their arm and a scar that they will live with. So get informed, get educated, reduce your barriers of ignorance, and 
but also let community lead. Stand by and let them lead. When you um, have a microphone passed to you and you're in a position of power, your job is to, yep, say hello, thank you for having me, and then pass the microphone over to someone who doesn't have the same power as you. And, um, you know, there's this extraordinary quote from the amazing Toni Morrison, who's, um, was it her birthday recently as well, the late, great Toni Morrison. She says, uh, I tell my students, when you get these jobs that you have been so brilliantly trained for, just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. This is not just a grab bag candy game. Mm. And mm. that is like amazing words. I wish I came up with that because that's how I live my life, but fine, she can take credit for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, I think um, it's a real great opportunity and privilege to also support my fellow community of artists of colour, people with disabilities, um, people who are queer, non-binary, transgender, I, I like, please come and work and stand beside me. Let me know you're here. Show me what you got. Show me what you're capable of. And I'll throw you some more, some more energy and some power to you. I'm, I, I'm, why would, why do we need to keep power to ourselves? I don't get it. Literally makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not like we are a battery and then we just add another battery and then just another, add a ba like, we're not solar batteries. We like, we've got to share it. Um, yeah, anyway, everything is always everything always looks more more beautiful and more raw and more honest and empowering mm. than it is a community effort. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that too. I even feel like for myself sometimes, like my stories aren't good unless I have collaboration. <laughs> yeah. Um, I always like, you know, everyone's um or like everyone's voices is so imperative to whatever, wherever it is that I'm kind of creating or constructing. I just think that like, like it's, it's always going to be a community effort to tell whatever story it is that you're trying to tell, even on platforms like, you know, race matters. Like it's a mm. community platform. Like these things don't really happen unless you kind of blend that hand out. And that's something that you've really kind of your whole career and your whole trajectory like um it's, it's quite amazing to see because you've definitely been instrumental in doing all of that from day dot <clears throat> I'm just going to echo what you say like you know when when others succeed we all succeed and um I am so much a collaborator like I hate sitting in a room by myself working by myself it's why I haven't gotten to starting to write my own stories, even though I've got, you know, stories to tell and great ideas, if I say so myself. Um, and, uh, but it's the, the, yeah, the sitting by myself with a blank page in front of me is so confronting. And uh, where I have developed and created shows with others, um, especially my queer Bollywood drag theatre shows, like it is, you know, at least three of us that sit down and get together every fortnight on a Sunday around a dining table go, all right, now let's workshop this moment. Now, like if this is where the story needs to go, so then let's like, yeah, what happens in this moment, in this scene? 
And like we just play around it, we develop it together. And there's one particular person who is the technical screenwriter. Yeah. But, um, you know, we all just sit there and go, okay, now let's read it out. And, you know, it, it's so invigorating and enlivening and inspiring to do it that way. I do not do the sitting alone by myself, make it all work. Um, I, I believe in community. Community is my ultimate power source. Um, and I also believe that when, uh, when people come and work with me on any of my shows or my projects with them, producing, directing, any sort of leadership, especially any sort of leadership role, um, that people will come away from that experience not recognising themselves, that they would have a new experience of themselves, a new experience of their capacity, their capability, their power, their knowledge. And it's really important to me that people grow from working with me. And, and I don't mean like, like the painful growing, like you have to like push through sort of, it's not about that. You've got to freaking have fun as well. You have a really good time when you're working with me. And if you're not, then that's a huge red flag that we need to sit down and talk about. Is it me? Have I, have I stepped over something? Is there something that I need to apologize for and deal with? Or is it that, we just haven't gotten on the same page yet about what the vision is and tell me more about, you know, your vision and what you want. So um, I would like to create like, um, I guess a new a reckoning in the way we create art, where we create television, theater, films, that it's not just a, a couple of people at the top of the pyramid barking orders and telling everyone to hurry up and get this stuff done for me because I've got a vision. Um, yes, obviously a director has their vision and, and the team and the creatives around them need to support in fulfilling that vision for the director. And, um, and yes, I have to, you know, deliver on certain things for the producer so that they are financially viable <laughs> as much as possible. Um, uh, it's, you know, we do aim for critical and commercial success, of course, that's, you know, a marker of success. But the other marker of success for me is community and how do, what is, how, if we could measure personal growth, like with a measuring tape, like, you know, how much percentage of growth have they hit? Um, that's, that's my, one of my key performance indicators as well. And I think I can't wait to helm my own TV show, my own film and do it there. Um, I think it's quite ambitious. I don't know exactly how I'll get it done, but I also believe in sustainable livelihoods and sustainable lives. Um, uh, I did tell uh, my team on this production that, hey, we're not curing cancer. We're not curing COVID. Mm. Like we're literally putting on a play on a stage it's very, we're very privileged to be able to do this and, and get paid for it right now. Um, however, like if there's something that I've asked for, we want to achieve, that's going to mean that you're not going to get any sleep for the night or for several nights, you come and tell me, you come and tell me that that's what's going to happen. I need you to go home and still engage with your community, with your family, with your kids, with your dogs, with your cats. I need you to do that. I need you to be human beings. I need that. I need that for you because I need that for me. I need to come home and mm. still enjoy my husband's company and patting my dogs. I still want to be able to go take them for a walk. I don't have to be stuck at a computer or stressing out or sleeping in because like I've, I'm sleep deprived. Um, 
so yeah, I, I strongly believe in hum humanity first. Yeah. And then our art becomes the best from that. Our final question, and we ask this of all of our guests, and that is, Bali Pada, when did you realise there was power in your race? Oh. That's a great question. Uh, no one's ever asked me that. I think in terms of, like, life stages um i think i was i would say like late 20s early 30s where um finally the angst of growing up and self-identity and trying to fit in and all of that stuff um i was i moved beyond that and um found that became present to that my culture my race my upbringing my language punjabi um is are the, the things that make me the strongest person that I am here. They're like that, those are all the things that are my foundations, the strongest foundations that my parents have given to me through birth and, and upbringing. And so uh, everything else is like the structure and, and the walls and the windows and the doors and the roof on top of that, that I've, you know, done through own life experience. But yeah, I the I have regrets though. I regret not being present to the power of my race and culture a lot sooner. Um, I think it's the drive of you know the need to assimilate um, in Australia from when you're from a migrant background. I, I was born here, but I was the first. I'm the youngest of all my siblings and the first Australian born of my family. And you know, I lost language. Um, in my mid to late teens, I became, my fluency in Punjabi diminished significantly. And I've been trying quite hard to bring it back. Um, one thing like that really tweaked for me for my self pride was yesterday, I had a, an interview with SBS Punjabi radio in Punjabi for 20 minutes. Oh, I love and that. That's excellent. Yeah, and, and the producer, the, the the host, he calls my dad. So my dad is a significant leader in the Sikh Punjabi Indian community here in Australia and also globally as well. And he's always on their radio show and writing articles for them as well. And the wonderful man, he called my dad straight after my interview and just said, your son is extraordinary. I hope you are proud as parents because he just blew me away with his insights and his language and his knowledge and his power and his creativity. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have, we don't celebrate artistic pursuits in our community because we're, we just want survival. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm becoming more and more present, even just yesterday, yeah. the power of my race and my culture. Oh, I love that answer. We always get say every answer that we get on that question. It's always mm. there's 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 never any comparison. Like every answer is so unique. Mm. So again, I thank you for sharing that. It was a little bit emotional there. That last no. one. <laughs> it was the reason why I was like randomly crying yesterday because <laughs> I had that <laughs> moment. And my mum calls me like two minutes before dress run, and she's like, "I just have to tell you that 
you know, they called your father and said all these things. And then he came running into the room and thrust his phone into my hand and said, here, tell his mother as well. And uh, <laughs> she's like, we're really happy. We're really proud of you. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's um, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you so much for joining us on Race Matters. I am so honoured. I'm so incredibly honoured, Sarah. I'm so glad that we also have met as well. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm chuffed. I'm super chuffed. That's all for Race Matters this week. I'm Tanya Ali. Big, big thanks to our guest on today's show, Bali Pada, Director of Guards at the Taj, showing at Riverside Theatre till March 5. Head to riversideparamatta.com.au for more info and to snap up tickets. And thank you so much for tuning in. You can find more of our show at fbiradio.com slash race matters. We'll catch you next week. Race matters. 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 Race matters.